Welcome to our Drink a Book podcast, where we drink wine and talk about books. This is Lauren. Lynn. I'm Lee. It's Marie. And this is Joe. second book club zoom meeting um making some new like records here i guess it's book club number 30 but zoom book club number two yeah oh my god i know isn't that crazy oh i know so kind of sad that we can't be together for our 30th one but we are still in quarantine, even though everything's starting to open back up, but I don't feel super safe leaving my house, so. No. Yeah, what about you guys? Definitely not. I started feeling a lot better once I had to start leaving for work, because I, I mean, our first time going back and we had to wear a mask and everything, and doing that before I was in the house, didn't go grocery shopping, didn't do anything, didn't leave my house, didn't like go into society whatsoever. Um, But once I was, went the first time after that, then I started feeling a little better. But I feel like the more you're out in like controlled environments, you feel a lot better about it. I've definitely opened up a lot more. I haven't really been doing much still. I'm mostly doing the same thing I was doing before for now (laughs) just writing it out I don't think I've even gone outside in like the past three days to be honest (laughs) (laughs) like I know restaurants and things are opening like as much as I want to go to like our like favorite local winery and sit outside I'm like oh is it worth like well I feel so dumb if I literally get sick in like two weeks like was that worth it probably not I know I feel the same way and I feel like that now that everything's opening up, people are thinking like, oh, yay, now I can go back and do my regular things. But I just don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah. I'm cool to just kind of like see how things play out without putting myself into like a lot of situations yet. Like I'm definitely not going to go to restaurants, I don't think, or anything time soon. But I have been like, occasionally meeting up with a friend or two to go on a walk or something if it's outside but I'm not really super comfortable being in enclosed spaces yet like unless it's at school or at work or whatever most of the time if you're going to work they're already taking precautions you know they have to so like when I went to work the first time they told us what the CDC recommended and what we have to do and I mean you have to follow those recommendations you can't just be like oh I'm not gonna do that like people do every day (laughs) yeah so for now we are just sheltering in place in our respective houses with our cats and our own wine I'm drinking sweet Walter red I always thought this was a local Ohio wine because I feel like it's always in like the regional section oh Uh, it says it's from New York Anyway, I really like this kind. It's delicious. Funny thing, I'm drinking the same wine I was drinking last time. The only reason why is because that one had a screw top instead of a cork, and I was 
doing whichever one was easier. <laughs> but I'm drinking the Avalon again. I'm drinking a California Riesling called Calamity Sioux. And um, this is also a wine that I got at that wine party that I was talking about on our last episode. And it's very good. I like it. <laughs> nice. I'm drinking New Age. It's allegedly Argentina's most popular wine. I'm drinking the white version. It's a blend of Sauvignon Blanc in Torontes. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it's really sweet and fruity and it's so good. I'm drinking not a Riesling today. I'm a brand called Fetzer and it's like German. And the kind of wine is called a Gewürztraminer. Gewürztraminer. Yes. Those are good. I got it because it said it was close to a Riesling. So I was trying to, like, you know, branch out a little bit. And it's really good. I really like it. It was, only, it was on sale for like $7 or something. It was really tasty. Yeah, that one is really popular. You probably had it, Joe, in the Finger Lakes. <laughs> I felt like it was really popular there because it's sweet. I've definitely had it elsewhere, too. I know I've ordered glasses of it before. I always like it. It's good. I like it. Well, cheers, everyone. And happy book club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this month's genre pick was from Lynn. She picked politics, which seemed pretty timely considering you know, Donald Trump is president, everything is crazy. And I think you picked this before we went into quarantine, right? Yeah, my main purpose for picking it was because of the Democratic primaries, which now seems like so ancient, you know? But yeah, Biden has been our nominee now like two months, you know? So, so weird, because at the time that seemed like just the biggest thing that was happening and I was like so involved and it felt so intense and now I'm like what primaries like right there's so much more pressing issues right now right. yes so still a very relevant book genre you know for the time being with coronavirus and like you said everything being crazy <laughs> there's still lots to talk about exactly and the book was Marie's pick of why we're polarized by Ezra Klein and that's been on a lot of our to read lists I know it's been on mine so I was excited to read it yeah and I feel like Ezra Klein is pretty like you know he's very credible he has a good reputation I think at least for like people with our worldview. <laughs> so I was definitely excited to read a book by him. Yeah, I was looking up Ezra Klein. I've heard him on several podcasts. We talked about this last time. He was kind of like publicizing the book on a bunch of political podcasts that I already listened to. But when I looked him up, he, well, of course, he's the co-founder of Vox Media. But he apparently in 2011 was named one of the 50 most powerful people in Washington, D.C., which I thought was, like, oh. pretty impressive. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. And he used to be a blogger, too. And he, his blog was named one of the 25 best financial blogs by Time Magazine 11 also. 
Wow. He's won like a bunch of awards since then. Like in the last like eight to ten years. Like yeah, he seems like he's just getting more and more prominent, I guess, and successful. So that's all I had to say about him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to save a little bit of time, um, instead of reading the blurb on the book, I found um, a shorter blurb <laughs> that is written by uh, podcast favorite author Rebecca Traster. And so um, she says, in this thoughtful exploration of American politics, Ezra Klein challenges the conventional wisdom about why and how recently we've come apart and suggests that the fantasy of some unified American middle is perhaps at odds with the ongoing fight for truly representational politics. Why we're polarized makes the compelling case that the centuries-long battle to perfect our union means we were built to be split. Klein's provocative question is whether America's democratic systems and institutions can bear up under the weight of our divides. Nice. Nice. And I love Rebecca Traster. So from this point on, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book, you probably want to stop here until you have, because we're going to be giving some things away. So the ratings for this book, we have a 4.29 star rating. There's 2,570 ratings and 394 reviews, which I think is pretty good because I believe this is a 2020. I was going to say, it just came out like recently. So a lot of people have a lot to say about the book. So I have a five-star review on Goodreads from Linda. Linda writes... I have read many books that attempt to explain the current nightmare of American politics. Klein's book is one of the best. It's well-researched and accessible. He provides the clear, comprehensive historical analysis of the shift from bipartisan to polarized partisan politics. He also examines numerous studies of groupthink and identity sorting, which he believes underlie this behavior. He examines the fear underpinning the Trump phenomena and the undemocratic practices of the Republican Party. His analysis of the current problems we face is strong and demonstrates a need for structural changes. I'm not sure how we get there, but I feel that this book is essential reading for all who are concerned about the current situation. Well said. So I have a one-star review, and there were only a handful when I looked at Goodreads, and there were only three like written reviews for the one-star So I found one and it's a little lengthy, so I'm just gonna kind of read a couple paragraphs from it. Um, But it's from Adam Murphy and he says, uh, not an analysis so much as a defense of an ideology that is rapidly deteriorating. Ezra Klein is firmly in the center left camp of the Democratic Party, the dreaded PMC class that is largely high on its own supply of moral superiority. And then he goes on to say, they are racist, we aren't is typical navel-gazing among the PMCs to make themselves feel better about their own complicity in a system wholly unable to solve problems. All class or economic analysis is completely ignored by Klein. He says, conservatives really hate people like Klein because of this sense of moral superiority. Remember, American sense of self is increasingly wrapped up in the individual's political dogma. For Klein and others of his ilk, that means their sense of self is wholly dependent on moral righteousness. And then he goes on to say, um, his own ideology and moral righteousness prohibits his ability to use class to examine society because the result of doing so would challenge the idea that is central to his idea, ideology, that he is a good person because he is a Democrat. 
Okay, just gonna say, I kind of feel like he's proving Ezra Klein's <laughs> point of the book for him. <laughs> a right. little bit. Like, right. Yeah, as you read that, my um, eyebrows progressively got higher and higher up on my forehead. I mean, come on. I feel like most of us were having the same response looking at everybody's picture in our conference. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, like, I did have problems with this book, which, like, I want to talk about. Like, I have a lot to say about this book, but, like, I feel like that was a bit extreme. It sounds and like Adam is feeling called out. Yeah, defensive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was telling some of you before we started recording that I took a lot of notes on this book, like more than maybe any book, any of the 30 books we've read for book club. So I do have a lot of thoughts as well. But, and I agree, I do have some problems with it. But I will preface this by saying that, like, I agree with Ezra Klein's worldview. I believe with his, like, I believe his analysis of politics and, like, I have the same political standing as him. So even though I have some problems with the book, like, I believe that he is credible and I agree with like most of what he says mm -hmm. in the book. But I, I guess that's also proving his point <laughs> that he makes in the book of like, that's why we're polarized. Right. Um, so what did, what does everybody think about the book? Okay. So I thought it was really interesting and um, I feel like as I was reading it, there were several times I was talking to my husband, like, oh my gosh, listen to this. And you just like, he kind of verbalized some things in a way that I hadn't actually thought of before. But I also took a very long time to read this. I had trouble it and taking it. I actually tried listening to it. And that was even worse. Actually, I, I couldn't begin <laughs> the information. Like, audibly. So, but I'm not really like a strong audible learner, but I like listening to audiobooks and I, I couldn't listen to it. I had to read it. And it, so it, it took me a really long time. And um, I think that's a bad thing necessarily, but it was a very slow, uh, detailed read, which yeah. was not what I was expecting. I don't know. I gave it three stars. Same. Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> Marie, what did you rate it? Three. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. We're all in agreement. Wow. And when I, like, I think we've talked about this before. When I give a book a three, it generally means that, like, I liked it, but I didn't, like, love it. Mm -hmm. But I have a really wide range of what I give a three. Like, mm -hmm. if Goodreads allowed half stars, I might have given this a three and a half. Mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking that, too. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm like a solid three. I'm like, I did like it. And I, <laughs> I feel like this comes up a lot for me. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm like, I did like it. And like you said, Lee, I totally agree with Ezra Klein's worldview. I align with him politically. And like, part of my issue was I felt like as a person who is like somewhat 
politically informed. This book was like nothing new for me. There were, I agree with you, Joe, that like some parts of it was like, oh, like I like the way he worded that or he made me think about it in a different way. But for me, I kind of felt like this is all information I've heard before and you probably didn't need to deliver in how many, like 270 or whatever pages. Like this could have been paragraphs and like we could have got your point it's kind of how I felt and which is why it was like really boring for me to get through like it I got really bored in a lot of parts of it even though again I agree with him and I like the content of the book it just was a really tough read for me it was almost like someone who doesn't know any type of history about what happened since the election because everything was spelled out like exactly event to event to event to event and what happened. I felt like there were a lot of times when I was listening or I was reading it, listening to it. I, you know me, I flipped back and forth between Audible and the actual book. But I felt that as I was reading, I was listening to like different events that he was talking about and then waiting for like something new to be discussed. I'm like, I know that. I know that. I know that. Okay. Come on, let's talk about something new. (laughs) I will say, though, like, I feel like I learned a lot from this book that I didn't know. Like, especially related to political history. Like, I'm very engaged in politics now, but I'm not really that well versed in, like, the history of our political system. So a lot of this was actually news to me, like, I was actually really surprised about how there wasn't really that much um, like ideological differences between the Republican and Democratic Party, even like 50 years ago. Like, I didn't know that. That was a note, too. I was so shocked that like Democratic policies. I was like, what? (laughs) That was related to that, like that Strom Thurmond, like, notable racist, like, most conservative person used to be a Democrat. That was shocking. Yes. Yeah, that was definitely news to me. Like, a lot of the historical stuff I thought was interesting. Uh And I actually really liked how he gave the distinction between polarization and extremism and how he kind of said, like, even though we're more polarized, today in the past our politics was way more extreme because there were all these like anti-lynching laws and like really like horrible policies and like racist discriminatory things in place that should seem more extreme than what's happening now which would Mm -hmm. just I guess I just hadn't really thought of it that way because I feel like at least our society makes it seem like polarization equals extremism, which isn't really the case. So I liked how he kind of like put that into words. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, I felt like I was super interested in it when I first started reading, probably because it was things I either didn't remember from school or never learned. But then as we got more to things now, I was like, yeah, I know like the media is a big deal and like social media and all these things. Like that was very obvious that of course this is why people are acting like they are now. So it was a little less interesting and a little harder to to get through. Right. I like sort of had an issue with 
when he was explaining polarization throughout the book, he kept referring to it as a problem. And like, I don't necessarily think that polarization is a problem in a lot of ways. Like, isn't it a good thing to like know what you stand for? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, where did I write this down? Okay. So he wrote in several places in the book, parties are weak, but partisan is strong. But like, I feel like it's good to know what you believe in and like what you're willing to stand up for and associate with and align yourself with. And of course, like, I guess, yeah, I fall into whatever that reviewer's name was where I feel like I have some kind of moral high ground or whatever, like, sure, put me in that category. But like, I feel like what I believe is right and what a lot of conservatives believe is wrong. And so maybe I am part of the problem. But like, I am like proud to identify as someone who believes in equality. Mm. Like, why is that a problem? Right. I, I feel like his main point, though, was like, it's a problem because we can't get anything accomplished now in our government. And so, mm-hmm. like, if one party has all the power, like, he, he gave the example of how, like, in the past, it was more, like, beneficial for both parties to work together because the, the minority party didn't really have a prayer of becoming the majority. I'm not explaining this eloquently, but now because the power, like either party could, could become the majority at any time. It's like not beneficial anymore for the parties to work together. At least that's how I took it. So like, that's the problem with it is that we're not going to be able to get anything done. Right. If both parties are so polarized and so like, you know, stuck on their, beliefs that they're not willing to work together. Right. Yeah. Well, that both parties both parties are in power at the same time. We're like in they he was saying other countries, you know, one party has all the power at, at a time. And for us, since Congress and, you know, president might be different, then they can't get anything done that way. And I thought that was interesting when he was talking about the benefits or or, you know, not benefits of, of having split parties in, in Congress and presidency. Yeah, that's true. I thought that was really interesting how he kind of proved that, like, it would basically incentivize the other party to work with the one in power and to compromise so than we're doing now. Like, that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I was surprised by that, too, though. Like, I don't know if I didn't pay attention in history class or what, but, like, I didn't really realize that we are the only country utilizing this system and that like it hasn't worked for anybody else and we don't even recommend it for other countries. <laughs> like that was surprising to me. Yeah, same. I felt like another issue, I mean, I guess he did bring it up, but I felt like he didn't really spend enough time on this. From what I know, I feel like one of the main reasons we are so polarized is because the majority of our country is uninformed and uneducated. Like, I feel like he didn't talk about that enough. Like, I think that's a huge issue and totally contributes to this problem where, 
And that is like his whole identity politics thing. Like I get it and I agree to an extent, but I feel like a huge reason that a lot of people just say like, oh, I'm a Republican, whatever the Republican lawmakers say, I'm in, or I'm a Democrat, whatever the Democrats say, good. It's not because of like, they're so strong in that identity. It's that they don't know all the information and they don't have the time or the access or the interest in informing themselves. And so they just like take, and I feel like this happens on both sides, but in my opinion, again, maybe I'm being biased here. I'm definitely biased here, but I feel like a lot of lawmakers on the Republican side like to give flawed information and manipulate their constituents and like that just perpetuates the problem. Like Fox News? Exactly. <laughs> like that whole chapter on what type of news different people watch and, and that's a big part of it, like you were saying. That's another thing that made me so mad reading those like one star reviews where they were complaining about how left leaning he was. I was like, so you're mad he's literally stating facts about what the Republicans do? Maybe you need to think about that if that pisses you off. Exactly. I do think, though, like, one of the kind of problems I had with it, even though I agree with him, is that it felt like he was pretty biased. Like, I kind of get the criticism from some of those low ratings of, like, him being very biased and, like, on his moral high ground, because he kind of was. Right. But, like, like, I totally agree with that, and I think most of his readers also agree with that, which is, like, going to polarize us even more, which he acknowledged in the book. Mm-hmm. But, like, he did come across as biased, which I thought was, I don't know if that's a problem or maybe that's, maybe he intended to do that. I mean, he was presenting facts, but it was also very biased. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of another way to say it. Like, it was very clear what side he's on and yeah. that he wanted to hurt his side. Yeah. Didn't he talk about that in the intro, though? Like, he said that he was, like, more liberal-leaning. Yes. And he explained that right away. So I guess the thought in my head is, if you know you don't agree with that, then stop reading this book right at the beginning. Because right. he's warning you, kind of, that yeah. you're going to disagree with him. And, like... He, he talked about the whole motivated reasoning thing, which is like how facts don't change people's opinions. We just find ways to defend our own position. Mm-hmm. And like he did acknowledge that in the book and that like, like that applies to him too. So he did like acknowledge that. Yeah, that's true. I did feel like though, I think Lynn, you maybe kind of touched on this that like, it did kind of drag on in some parts and like some of it, I had trouble finding like a cohesive, like central point. Like he used a lot of examples and some of them just felt kind of like random and it didn't all feel like cohesive to me. And so it was a little bit hard to follow in some parts of it. Like what exact, like what point are you trying to make here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I felt the same way, and I was reading a lot of the reviews, like, when I finished it, just to see what people thought, and 
I should have mentioned this earlier too when I was talking about him. He also has a podcast where he like talks, I forget what it's called, but I think it's through Vox and he like talks about a lot of this stuff and a ton of the people who reviewed this and like, I think the reason it has such high reviews on and ratings on Goodreads is because it's like his fan following of his podcast. And apparently he's been talking up this book for years that he's been working on it for like six years. And he's, it's basically a compilation of all the interviews on his podcast is people were saying in the reviews and that he just, and I don't know, cause I've never listened to it, but I saw this in several of the like two to three star reviews people wrote that he basically just like took every interview he did and just like put them as a collection in the book and didn't organize it in a way that would make sense for somebody who hadn't been listening to this podcast. And that like they were saying they were disappointed because he's been talking about it for so long. He's been working on it for so long that they felt like it should have been more cohesive by the time he published it. Hmm. That was just some of the criticism I read. Interesting. That actually makes a lot of sense now that you've said that. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe that would give more background for it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. I've never done this kind of research or looked into this research that much or anything, but I feel like the whole teams thing is a stretch. Like this is just like rooting for your baseball team or whatever. Like, no, it's not. I'm not like, I'm not choosing to vote for a Democrat and do anything to get a Democrat to win just because I want my team to win. Like to me, that was completely contradictory of the whole identity politics argument. Like it just seemed like, totally contradicting his other point in the book. But is that just because I'm not like informed enough on this? I don't I feel like maybe that's true for the people who aren't as informed, like what you were talking about before, you know, maybe just the people who only think of themselves like I'm this party and I'm only voting for them because that's my party. Like that might be the crowd he's talking about. Mm. Yeah. I also, I don't know what you guys will think of this, but I felt like some of the data he was presenting was also like a bit skewed or looked to me like he was doing it in a biased way. I have an example of this on page 216. He wrote, um, it's in the second paragraph. He's quoting, before 1982, in only two election years, was there speculation in the New York Times about shifts possible shifts in control of Congress. In 2010, by contrast, there were more than 70 such stories. But those two examples, like, they don't match. Like, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison where he says two election years, but then the contrast was more than 70 stories. That's not the same. You either, you need to give the exact number of stories or the years in both circumstances. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't compare that because in the two years, I don't know how many stories there were. Yeah, he's using years and number of stories. Yeah. Here, but that's not a valid way to, to compare. Yeah, <laughs> that really irritated me. But that goes back to what he said earlier in the book about how, like, the whole motivated reasoning thing. Like, yes. that 
don't actually change our opinions and we will just like do whatever it takes to make the facts prove our own point and how that one like wasn't there a survey or something about what was it I took a note about it where like being smarter actually like made you dumber on the survey right. because you're purposely like using like skewing the results to prove your own argument whether or not that's valid which right. is kind of what he's doing right here in your example yes I remember yeah. that survey you're talking about, Lee, but I didn't write down what page that was on. <laughs> I just found, I have a note about on page 92, partisanship makes us use our intelligence incorrectly. In a study when people were good at math, they were more likely to solve a gun violence math problem wrong if it didn't fit their ideology. So like, who's to say he's not doing that throughout this whole book? And he probably isn't even realizing it because that was the whole point of the study. Those people weren't trying to do that. They just were doing that. Or most of those people, I don't think, were trying to do that. It made it sound like it, it wasn't on purpose, maybe, or subconsciously. And, like, I feel really bad because I'm doing a lot of, like, heavy criticism right now of him. And I... Again, I do really like him and like admire his work and agree with his positions, but I felt like he was constantly contradicting himself. Like, here's an example of that. On page 232, he's saying how Republicans that were polled in this one study prefer politicians to their positions. They were twice as likely to mention that they prefer politicians who stick to a certain ideology or principle. But then on the next page, he says, conservatism isn't an ideology, it's an identity. But you just said on the page before that conservatives prefer people who stick to their ideology. So which one is it? <laughs> like, right? <laughs> I just dumb and don't understand how research works or am I right? <laughs> I did like his suggestions at the end. Like I, I really liked the rank choice voting. Like I'm a huge fan of that. I think that would be awesome. I love the Supreme court suggestion. Each party oh, yeah. represents five or picks five. And then those 10 pick the last five. Like that would solve so many problems. Like, when it's so extreme how it is now, it's just, it's so unfair for literally half the country. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, and I guess, again, that goes to his point of the book. Like, it, it just fucking sucks that half's going to be unhappy, even if we think the other half is wrong <laughs> to change their mind. But, yeah, I feel like that would be a good way to get us back to the compromise and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Then there's a chance that things could be fair. <laughs> where, where currently it's not really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Should we um, talk about fucking Mitch McConnell and wanting to, uh, oh my God, I don't even want to talk about it. It's just going to piss me off. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's page 200. So before that, they were talking about how uh, Supreme Court justice like suddenly passed away and Obama was going to fill it. And McConnell's like, no, it's an election year. Like, that's not correct. Like, you should let the new president do it. And then he was at, McConnell was at some sort of 
uh, luncheon in Kentucky, and um, he was asked what he'd do if a Supreme Court vacancy opened in 2020, which would be the next presidential election. And fucking Mitch McConnell, he took a long sip of what appeared to be iced tea before announcing with a smile, oh, we'd fill it, triggering loud laughter from the audience. Hey, fuck you. I know. That was, like, infuriating. Like, my blood was boiling. Stupid smug smile on his chinless face, like, ugh. (laughs) I hate that guy with the passion. Like, I, he is evil. Yeah. He's an evil person. I agree. He he is. And this is the exact example. And, And I think, as Recline mentioned, it's a dangerous precedent he's setting. And now I feel like there's no going back. They already did this. But he did. Okay, I'm now going to make a counter argument to my earlier point about him being very biased. (laughs) Because I just remembered that he did make the point that he actually wasn't really blaming the Republicans for doing this. He was kind of saying that, like, it makes kind of made sense that they're doing this because, like, they can. It's not illegal. Like, because going back to the whole, like, power imbalance thing, how, like, the parties don't really have to work together that much because one party isn't, like, way weaker than the other. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this eloquently, but... I remember reading that. He, he said that. did make a point that, like... It's the system. Yeah. Problem with the system. And, like, the founders didn't consider, like, they never thought this would happen. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, exactly. And, like, I liked how he acknowledged that, that, like, we, the founders wrote the Constitution, like, at a time where a lot of it is just not relevant with what's going on in politics. Like, it's a good foundation, but, like, that shit needs to be updated, stat. Like... Like, the system is not working. Well, and, like, the founders didn't consider all the things because they were all a bunch of old white guys. Like, it's obviously not going to be all-inclusive of, like, the problems a country might encounter when, like, other people also have rights, including women and black people and people of color. Like, the Constitution that all these white guys wrote isn't working anymore. One half of them, like, owned other human beings at the time of writing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, shocking. That's not surprising. I kept, at the beginning, it was, like, really hard for me to understand why there would even be two parties if they were not, like, sorted based on their ideologies. But now I get it. Like, oh, it's because the white men were evenly distributed between both parties. And so no matter which party was in power, the patriarchy would be in power. Like, mm-hmm. that's what was happening. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had marked on page, like, 245. Um, they're talking about William Barr making comments. Something he, he was basically saying, like, Democrats will use like, whatever means possible to get to their ends. And I just was like, do you mean Republicans? Because that's literally what happened with Trump. Like, Trump was the most, like, anti-Christian, anti-Republican person ever. And now he's like, you're freaking godsend. And you treat him like you're in a cult. And it's fine because you guys get to keep power. You get to keep all your corporate um, 
donations and everyone else gets to suffer. That just really pissed me off when I read that. I know. It's infuriating. Wait, and his argument is that what Bill Barr said was that free government used to be for religious people and now religion is under attack. Like, <laughs> what? I was like, I'm pretty sure you're still free to do whatever you want. Other people just don't want to have to deal with it if that's not something they personally subscribe to. Well, and that was one of the problems. Like, we just talked about the patriarchy. Like, it's the white Christian patriarchy. Like, that's the problem. That's because our government was founded on that. Exactly. He had a quote that, like, puts all this in context. Um, Where was it? Somewhere he said how if you're... Oh, yeah. When you're used to being privileged, Mm. equality feels like oppression. And that, like, to me, totally explains a lot of these Republican assholes and their behavior is that, like, they are so used to holding all the power that as soon as anybody asks, hey, can we also share the power? Or, like, have a little bit of our own rights to, like, make our own decisions in a democracy that we live in? Like, they feel like they're being attacked. Right. When, like, it's not about them, but it is in their minds. Right. It's like, no, you you still get to do everything you're doing. We just also want to do what we want to do. And they're like, no, no, mm-mm, nope. Right. I actually found some of those comments enlightening because maybe it, this is strange, but, like, and I've never felt like my whiteness is threatened by other, you know, races or other, I don't know, other, any other people like he was talking about in, in this book, but it sounds like so many people are. And I was like, oh, this actually makes sense because I never really understood. Like, why are these people so up in arms that that exact statement and, and what you guys were just talking about, that really explains it and actually kind of helped me understand why they think the way they do because I just I don't know I didn't think that way no yeah and I think the reason you don't think that way is because you are marginalized in like we're women so we are the target in some ways of discrimination and oppression so I feel the same way like I've never felt threatened by like other races or people who are not like cisgender or straight or whatever like I don't feel that, but I think it's because we are part of a marginalized group. Mm -hmm. But I think also like that's one of the differences between Republicans and Democrats, at least in today's age, like part of the identity politics of being a Democrat is that you believe in like civil rights and equality, you know, like you're more likely to feel that equality will mean oppression if you are a white man in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. I think. Which, like, okay, here I am on my moral high horse, but, like, I'm right and you're clearly wrong. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like we're very clearly proving the point of his book. But oh, totally. That's, I, I can't help but feel like this is just morally right. Like, I don't know how you could think a different way and feel like that's correct. And feel like that's okay. Right. Like, 
like I'm a kindergarten teacher. I teach like 101 on anti-bullying and kindness. These people just no respect for half the population, if not more than that. Like they just don't have like the human decency that I feel is appropriate for all people. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, this book like kind of discouraged me. <laughs> like, I know that wasn't the point, but some of the things he was saying, I'm like, okay, great. Like our government's going to collapse. Like, oh, great. Like, I mean, I know he ended with suggestions and, and like hope, but some of it feels like, is that ever going to happen? Especially in the political climate that we're living in. Right. If we are so polarized, why would the other side ever listen? I guess the answer is we need a Democrat president and a Democrat majority in Congress. (laughs) Yes. So I know we had a lot of criticisms of the book, but I did like it. And I learned a lot, honestly, like, I think it, I think it was a good book. And I think that Ezra Klein is very smart and Mm well-researched. Maybe the execution could have been a little bit better. But yeah. Overall, I liked it. Same. I felt a lot of, like the there were a lot of numbers. I felt like I was constantly reading, and I was like, I'm literally not even taking this in. I'm just I don't know what this number is. I'm just gonna skip <laughs> over this until I get to letters again. But yeah, I thought he had a lot of I mean good things to say, even if a lot of it was I guess obvious to some of us. But still worthwhile to read. I definitely think so. I I agree with with you guys. I learned a lot, and I thought it was interesting even though there are some, you know, some parts that that could maybe be different. But overall, I still recommend it. Yeah, I agree. I, even though I, I was really like dogging on him in my analysis of the book, I do really like him. And it definitely made me want to like follow him more doing now, like look up his podcast and, you know, that type of thing. Um, and I did, I really liked all the recommendations at the end. Like I thought all of those were really practical. Yeah. We need to get rid of the filibuster. We didn't say that yet, but he suggested that and yes, get rid of it. Agreed. Okay. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I can use a little wine refill right now. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. What are all of you thinking about your wines? Do you have wine ratings or or any comments about your wines now that we've had a little bit to be drinking them? Now I'm afraid to say my wine rating because it was the same as last time. (laughs) Am I going to be wrong? (laughs) I mean, mine's pretty good. I mean, I, I guess like a four or five, pretty high. I like bold wines and this one's pretty bold. I'd give mine a five out of five. A plus uh, substitute for Riesling. Would recommend. Would buy again. <laughs> I clearly did. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Five out of five for sweet water. Red wine. Love it. I agree. My Calamity Seuss. Five out of five. I'm liking it. Five out of five for New Age. Would definitely recommend. I just finished my second glass. I need to get my husband to come pour me a third glass. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. 
So we recommend the book. We recommend our wine. Mm -hmm. Love it. Has anyone been reading anything else? I have. I'm very excited about the book I've been reading. So some of you I've already told, but I am reading The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is the newest uh, book in the Hunger Games series. And it just came out and I started reading it today and I'm already more than halfway through and I can't wait to finish it. So. <laughs> hey, it. That's exciting. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to borrow it from you when you're done. <laughs> no. Oh, yes. Everyone's welcome to borrow whenever, like, we can see each other to get the book transferred. But, um, yeah, for sure. I, I highly recommend it so far. I haven't been reading. I guess I've been more learning. I've been learning how to sew. Ooh. I learned, so I, I bought a sewing machine five years ago, and I was all excited about it. And then I moved here. I moved states, had a new job, and then I had another new job. And another house and you know I've been moving every like year so I haven't I feel like I haven't had enough space or time or anything to sew so it's just been sitting there and then in this quarantine I'm like hey everyone's making masks so that'll be my excuse I'll learn how to make a mask we're almost there but <laughs> that's what I've been doing so, so I guess it's kind of reading I've been reading manuals I feel like that's a very on vibe. Like, What'd you say? I feel like that's on vibe. Like books and sewing. Like, totally. Yeah. I have literally like not been reading anything, to be honest with you. I don't know. Ever since this quarantine started, I found it very difficult to concentrate on reading. I was like playing a lot of video games. Um, in this last few weeks, I've been really obsessed with The Sims 4 again. Um, so I know I have not been reading anything really. That's fine. And totally justified. <laughs> I just read Dark Matter. Ooh, that was good. Yeah. Almost, familiar. almost all of you have already read it, right? No. Oh, okay. not just, just Rowan Lee. <laughs> it's always <laughs> Joe. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was really interesting. It totally gave me, like, the same vibes as The Silent Patient. Like... Really? Yeah. I mean, it's not the same, but, like, the writing style and, like, sort of just, like, the thriller-type scenarios that were happening, it just reminded me a lot of it. I don't know. Maybe you could read that one recently, but... It was definitely worth the read. Like, I got through it super fast. That was really good. Maybe I'll add it to my hold list on my Libby app right now, actually. That one is a really good one for, like, discussion, too. Like, I definitely want to talk about it with people who've read it. Maybe that can be another bonus episode sometime. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, I am reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince currently. Um, since we read The Sorcerer's Stone, I was compelled to read the rest of the series. And I haven't been reading anything else either, like you said, Lauren. Like, I don't want to read except I only want to read Harry Potter. Like, it just feels very comforting and, like, makes me feel good inside. Except that now I'm getting to, like, the darker parts of the story. So... 
I mean, parts that are a little too close for comfort with what's happening almost. Yeah. So it's definitely getting like a little less like happy fun vibes and a little more like murder scary vibes. <laughs> but um still, I'm really enjoying rereading it and I'm going to finish the series and then I don't know. We'll see what I choose to read next. I also read a series after our last podcast, um, book club, and it was the best thing that's ever happened to me in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, I know they're like quick reads if you like them, but that's like seven books you just read in like five weeks. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's honestly helping with my um, Goodreads book challenge. Same. <laughs> I think my goal is like 30 books, and I'm already ahead of schedule because I get through the Harry Potter books so fast. It's like if I ever am behind on my book challenge, I'll just reread Harry Potter. Yeah, literally, guess how many books ahead I am right now? Seven. Wow. Harry <laughs> I'm seven <laughs> books ahead of schedule <laughs> challenge because I read Harry Potter. <laughs> Are we ready to talk about next month's book pick? Yeah. yeah. I'm really excited about mine. So Lauren, do you want to explain the genre that you picked? Yes. So I had a few ideas as my book club will know, but I narrowed it down to Books you've been wanting to read that you actually own, but you just haven't read yet. So, like, they're literally physically sitting on your bookshelf, but you just haven't gotten around to reading them yet. That is I'm so excited about this. I'm excited about this. I literally counted how many books I have sitting in my house that I need to read. There are 17 of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mine is probably similar to that. didn't count mine. <laughs> I have multiple shelves of books, but then I have a basket on my coffee table. That's my books that I'm currently reading, but then I also slide in one that, like, will start when one ends. Mm. So can I share first? Yeah. yeah. I'm really excited about mine. Oh, good. Yes, so I'm really excited about this one, and as you guys know, we live in Ohio, and it takes place in Ohio, which is super cool that we're based in Cleveland. Um, I'll read the back of it. It says, in Shaker Heights, progressive suburb of Cleveland, everything is planned, from the layout of the winding roads to the colors of the houses to the successful lives its residents will go on to lead and no one embodies the spirit more than Elena Richardson whose guiding principle is playing by the by the rules enter Mia Warren an artist and single mother who arrives in this bubble with her teenage daughter Pearl and a disregard for the status quo that threatens this carefully ordered community suspicious of Mia and her motives Elena is determined to uncover the secrets of Mia's past but her obsession will come at an unexpected and devastating cost. Little Fires Everywhere explores the weight of secrets, the nature of art, and identity. Yes! Mm. And I think Joe and Lynn and I have all already read this, right? Yes. We all watched it. You have? 
Hulu's series. I haven't watched it. Oh, so just Lynn and I have. But once again, I read the book because Lee and Joe had read the book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading the book because Joe and Lee (laughs) all read the book. It's so good, though. I would happily reread. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I think it's always so good. Yeah, I think it was a book pick a while ago, and then I just bought it last week because I, not that I don't have other books that I could read, but it's like I really want to read that, and then I just bought it. It's yeah. so- I would love to read it again now, having watched the show and like picturing the characters because I read it before the show came out. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, I love that book. Okay, so my pick, I think I got this book at either a garage sale I found it or at like the library sale that I went to last year. I can't remember which, but it is The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin, Le Gun. Um, and it says it was, it was published in 1969. And she has other books that I read. I remember reading when I was like younger, but I didn't read this one. And it says, a groundbreaking work of science fiction. The Left Hand of Darkness tells the story of a lone human emissary, emissary to winter, an alien world whose inhabitants can choose and change their gender. His goal is to facilitate winter's inclusion in a growing intergalactic civilization, but to do so, he must bridge the gulf between his own views and those of the completely dissimilar culture that he encounters. Embracing the aspects of psychology, society, and human emotion on an alien world, the Left Hand of Darkness stands as a landmark achievement in the annals of intellectual science fiction. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just looking at each other on the camera. <laughs> I want to put in some context here. It's really hard on a Zoom chat. Like, we're taking turns, and it's hard to, like, communicate who's going to go next over video when we're in person we just go in (laughs) around the circle so we know who's going and we're all in different orders on our screen right so i'm gonna say lee go ahead oh okay thanks you're welcome okay so i'm really excited about this my book pick is daisy jones and the six yes i picked this like twice yeah, so this has been on our picks list multiple times before from mm-hmm. Joe. And it's a Reese Reese's Book Club picked, our good old friend Reese. Um, <laughs> and I've been wanting to read it for a long time. I'm not going to read the whole description. I'm just going to read some of, like, the, some of the descriptions on the Amazon um, product. So from New York, or it's a New York Times bestseller. Um, a gripping novel about the whirlwind rise of an iconic 1970s rock group and their beautiful lead singer, revealing the mystery behind their infamous breakup. Everyone knows Daisy Jones and the Six, but nobody knows the reason behind their split at the absolute height of their popularity until now. Woo. I'm so excited you picked that. <laughs> so my pick is Elizabeth Gilbert's City of Girls. Oh, yes. So somebody we all know rate it not very highly. (laughs) Yes, yes, she did. A friend of ours gave this a one star. However, high reviews. I I have two other friends who gave this a four star, and 
I got this at a book swap at um, my husband's family holiday party. We did a book swap and a very trusted cousin recommended this and she has a very similar taste in books as I do and I trust her I think that she liked this book so. <laughs> I totally forgot about that you're right yeah but you're right a friend a mutual friend of all of ours rated this a one star <laughs> I see that now so this may be a risky pick <laughs> I don't know um, I'm gonna have to ask her about this <laughs> especially if the book gets picked Definitely. Okay, so I'm not going to read the whole description because it's kind of long, so I'm just going to read part of it. And it says, told from the perspective of an older woman as she looks back, back on her youth with both pleasure and regret, City of Girls explores themes of female sexuality and promiscuity as well as the idiosyncrasies of true love. Written with a powerful wisdom of human desire and connection, City of Girls is a love story like no other. And I don't normally choose like love stories, but I think it's not just that. It's like a coming of age story about the main character as well. Sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm even more interested because our friend rated it a one. Mm -hmm. It almost makes me want to read it even more. So mine is also a Reese's book club pick. Ooh, we have three now. The Giver of Stars by Jojo Ooh. Moyes. I got this at our family Christmas book exchange. We always do our extended family. Um, when we get together for Christmas, we all just bring a book and then like a white elephant type thing. And this is the one I got. And I've been wanting to read it for a long time, but it's just been sitting on my shelf waiting for me to have time to read it. This one, I'll read you part of the description. It says, set in depressed America, a breathtaking story of five extraordinary women and their remarkable journey through the mountains of Kentucky and beyond. Alice Wright marries handsome American Bennett Van Cleve, hoping to escape her stifling life in England. But small town Kentucky quickly proves equally claustrophobic, especially living alongside her overbearing father-in-law. So when a call goes out for a team of women to deliver books as part of Eleanor Roosevelt's new traveling library, Alice signs enthusiastically. And then towards the end, it says, funny, heartbreaking, enthralling. It is destined to become a modern classic, a richly rewarding novel of women's friendship, true love, and what happens when we reach beyond our grasp, great beyond. Nice. Sounds good. I am excited about all of these. Yeah, me too. Are we ready? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm starting a timer. It's spinning. It's spinning. And it's the giver of stars. Ooh. Yay. Yay. It wins. We haven't had a limb pick in a while. I know. I feel like it's been forever since my book got picked. Yay. <laughs> nice. Yay. I love the cover of it. It's just so pretty. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've read anything by this author, but I feel like she's written other books that are popular too. So I'm excited. Name. Well, I just saw that on the Goodreads page. It said she wrote um, "Me Before You." Isn't that like that movie with um, Amelia Clark and Bennett? Bennett <laughs> oh dear, that's. All. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know his name. Oh, I don't think I ever saw that. But I, I haven't seen it. But I, I didn't see that movie either, but I remember when it came out. Mm -hmm. 
So we really enjoyed um, Why We're Polarized. Did you guys read this book? What did you think? And also, do you have a favorite book you would want us to read um, next time? Please let us know. Drop us a line at drinkabookpod at gmail or on our Instagram uh, at drinkabookpod. You can also guess what our next genre will be or if you have a genre idea we should consider. Also, feel free to tag us in a picture of your cat because we love cats. We will never not like a photo of your cat. That's about it. Okay, so just as a recap, overall, we recommend why we're polarized with a few little asterisks along with it. But in general, we recommend that. We definitely recommend our wines. No asterisks there. Um, and remember to... <laughs> Sorry, now I'm laughing. <laughs> Remember to read The Giver of Stars for next month, and we'll see you then. Yay. Bye. 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 Here's to another book club. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.